If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the 68th Psalm, I want to look at a particular passage of Scripture here. I don't know how much preaching there is in it, but I'm going to give what I've got for it. Uh, it's a particular verse that I, you know, I've read many different times, and it has never uh, really struck me or been something that um, where I had much of a desire to study it out. And um, for some reason, it, it kind of stuck in my head recently, and it made me want to look a little deeper into it. And it's a very uh, precious verse to us, and that's this in uh, Psalm 68, in verse six. It says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And I probably won't have you know, time to go through the whole verse. I specifically want to look at the first few parts of that. <clears throat> when you think of the word solitary, uh, the definition there in this particular verse means a you know, single or a, a oneness. And if you think of the word solitary, you know, you might think of solitary confinement. That's where in the prison system, you know, you're not in just the public uh, population of, of the, you know, the inmates. You're set aside. You're put in a single cell by yourself. And it's a it's a lonely type feeling. Um, you also may think of, uh, you know, from from the word we get the word solitude from solitary. You know, you think of solitude. I'm a man that likes solitude. I like from time to time to go off and to be alone by myself, and I do much better thinking and meditating sometimes when I don't have uh, as many distractions around me. And so solitude comes from the word solitary. Uh, you might think of the game solitaire, which is, you know if you played solitaire, it's not something you call up your buddies and say, hey, let's all get together and play solitaire, right? It's a, it's a game that you play by yourself. It's a single, one-person game. So when you think of the word solitary here in this verse, you think of singleness, oneness, aloneness type of things. And really, when this is written out here, you think of, uh, you know, when you're going through elementary school or junior high, I'm not sure exactly when you learned it, but clearly I had forgotten it because I had to go look it up again. Uh, you, you are taught what an oxymoron is. And it sounds like something really cool maybe to call your brother or sister, but I always thought it was, you know, Josh, you're such an oxymoron, you know. But I had to go back and look it up, and an oxymoron, um, when I was reading the list, you know, uh, of, of uh, you know, examples of oxymorons, it's, you know, it's like uh, uh, when you couple a couple words together that are really kind of opposites. Uh, you think of like icy hot, that's an ointment that you can put on your joints if they're hurting, icy hot. Those two don't really go together, but they smash them together. Uh, my favorite one in the list of ones I read that I'd never heard of was humble brag. Has anybody ever heard of that? Humble brag? Uh, a humble brag would be like saying I'm humbled by how talented I am, right? You're bragging, but you're talking about how humbled you are by how talented you are. It's, uh, those two don't, you know, bragging and being humble, they do not go together. And when you read this verse, you kind of get a feeling that there's kind of a, a, an undertone of an oxymoron here because it says that God setteth the solitary in families. Now, if the word solitaire or solitary means singleness or oneness or alone, why is he coupling it with something that's plural? Families. God setteth the solitary in families. And now, one thing that you'll 
notice as you read through the Bible is that oftentimes the Lord uses um, earthly things that we understand very well to explain spiritual things to us. If you think about uh, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus uh, and he's talking about uh, being born again and the Lord uses uh, throughout the Bible, he uses the picture of what a physical birth uh, entails to explain the new birth. And I've heard people say before, if you can explain to me uh, what you what role you had in being born physically, I will explain to you what role you had in being born spiritually. And of course, we know that we didn't have anything to do with being born physically, right? That was the that was a, a the process and the efforts of something entirely apart from ourselves. And so the Lord uses a physical birth to explain how we're born again. And in this case, I think He also is using. A, uh, you know, something earthly to help us understand something more heavenly, something more spiritual. Now, in Matthew, the 19th chapter, you don't have to flip over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few quick verses here. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, and you've probably heard this many different times, especially uh, at weddings. Uh, the Lord says in Matthew 19, verse 5, he says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain or two. And they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, you see here that this is the beginning of family. You are taking a man and you are taking a woman. I also heard an old preacher say one time, our math is one plus one equals two, correct? But God's math is one plus one equals one. You took a man and you added the woman and you get one. One plus one is equal to one. And we begin to see a picture here how on this side of heaven, biologically speaking, physiologically speaking, however you want to label it, you've get, you take two things that go against the very definition of solitary. But you combine them and you get something that is solitary. Only God can do that. A man and a woman come together and they become one. Now, I'll go even a step further than that. Is there not a feeling of oneness amongst families? For those of you that are married, you should be able to agree with me that it is an uncanny mystery how a husband and wife can, I'm, I'm not talking in the physical realm here, how a husband and wife can literally become one in spirit. It, I can't explain it to you. But for those of you that are married, or maybe there's those of you that have good, healthy marriages, it's uncanny how two people can have two totally different strands of DNA yet feel so one. Only God can do that. God can take two things and bring them into one, and while they are still separate, He makes them solitary. Now, what happens when you have children? He even shows out more, right? Because I have four children, 
And there is a oneness that I feel with my children and my wife. And as much as I love you, it's different. And it should be different the way you feel about me. I'm not saying you don't love me and I'm not saying I don't love you. And I'm not saying I wouldn't take a bullet for you. I I wouldn't let my children take a bullet for you. But I would take a bullet for you. There is a oneness that comes with families that I really can't truly explain. But God setteth the solitary in families. That feeling of closeness and oneness that you feel with that group of people that are your family that you don't feel with anybody else. Why is that? Because God made it that way. Now, I think God uses that to explain to us something even bigger than that. Something spiritual. Okay? Basically talking about three different types of families today. One, we're talking about a biological family. But two, we also have a heavenly family. The Bible tells us in Revelation, the fifth chapter, in the ninth verse, it says this. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, I tell you what, let me back up just for a second. I had a guy text me the other day, speaking of the, of the family, the structure of the family. Um, <clears throat> I know of this guy, never met him. I know his name. He is, he's a primitive Baptist elder. Um, I don't even know how he got my phone number. Um, and I was sitting at my desk and my phone went off and I looked at it and, and this guy's name popped up. And uh, I don't know how I got his number. I guess at some point somebody passed it along. And he said, hey, Brother Luke, this is so-and-so. He said, how can I pray for you today? And I was kind of taken back by that. I was like, nobody's ever asked me that. You know, how can I specifically pray for you today? And I had to sit there for a minute. Well, how can he pray for me today? If you want to know how you can pray for Brother Tim and I, there, there are many different ways. But one thing I ask you to specifically pray for us is that we would have courage to preach the truth of God's word. Why is that? Because the family is under attack. The family, Satan has got his scope, his crosshairs on the family, and he is dissolving those at a rapid rate. And a lot of them don't even realize it. He is trying to undo the solitary of the family. He's trying to take the oneness away and, 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 uh, and, and rip the family apart. And listen, it's going to take courage for preachers to preach about how he's doing that. Why is it going to take courage? Because it probably involves all of us to some extent. And it's probably going to make people mad. It's probably going to hurt feelings. Because God's people have a terrible time distinguishing between the holy and profane. They do. It is hard for God's people nowadays to distinguish between what is holy and what is profane. I see it all the time. And it's going to take great boldness and great courage. And I think as time ticks by, there's going to be some really, really difficult subjects that Brother Tim and I are going to have to preach on. And we're going to need courage for that. So I ask when you pray for us, please pray for us to have courage. Revelation is the fifth chapter. Side note, 
They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that we have a home, a house that is not made by hands. I've got a house, brick, mortar, sheetrock, all that good stuff. But the Bible tells me I've got another home and it is not made with hands. It is a heavenly home. And within that heavenly home, the Bible tells me there is a family. And, and, and for all these people that are, you know, fill in the blank, supremacists, supremacists, however you say that. They're going to be in for a rude awakening if they open their eyes in heaven. Because the Bible says that family that we have has every blood out of every blood, every kindred, every tongue, people, every nation. <clears throat> that defies logic to some extent. When my, my wife and I had children, they came into this world with a combination of our DNA and, and they are the same race that we are because they came from us. Any child that I ever have from here on with my wife will be the same race that we are. But in heaven, it's not so. You see, God puts that family together out of people that do not speak the same language that I do, that do not have the same skin color that I do, that do not have the same culture that I do. People that have no business, logically speaking, being a family. But God can make it so. And we will love that family just as much as we love the oneness in the families that we have on this side of earth. You see, that's the second type of family. But that's the third type of family is really the type of family that I'm looking to talk about this morning just for a few minutes. We've talked about a biological earthly family. We've talked about a heavenly family. I want to speak about a church family. We are made up of people that have, here in this congregation, that have a wide range of interest. There are some people here that are interested in stuff that I could not care less about. And I'm interested in stuff that you could not care less about. Right? There is really no business outside of these church walls that would ever bring us together to share any kind of common ground. There are people in here. I don't know if he's here. I don't see Uncle Ball here this morning. What is Uncle Ball? 90 years old? Uncle Ball, maybe 90 years old, Brother Furman, do y'all? You know, my youngest son is nine years old. You know, what does a nine-year-old and a 90-year-old have in common outside of these walls? I promise you that Uncle Ball doesn't want to try to keep up with what Jack likes to do. You know, Jack's going 90 to nothing. But yet in here, they are solitary. They're one. And I see him talking, and I see him laughing, and I see him cutting up. There are people in here that like to hunt, and there are people in here that would rather die than have to go out and hunt. But yet when we come into these walls, we're solitary. We're single. We're oneness. In the book of 1 John, <clears throat> I ask you this question, why is it so? Why is it that way? There is only one reason 
that you and I can share a bond that is stronger than even the bond of marriage when we have possibly nothing in common. There's only one way that we can have a feeling of solitary together when we have nothing in common, and that's because of God. That's because God can do it, because God did something to you that He did to me. And He put a spirit inside of you that He put inside of me. And that spirit is drawn to itself. The Spirit of God in Brother Tim and the Spirit of God in me is drawn to each other. And it makes people that maybe don't have anything in common one. That's what a church family is about. You see, but what does the devil try to do? He tries to dissolve and unravel that oneness by making us focus on things that are not important. We ought to pray, God, give me a sense in this world to know what is truly important and what is not. Because my goodness, we'll chase something that's not important, won't we? We'll spend our time and our money and we'll contribute to the dissolving of the family to chase things that really aren't that important. But there's a reason that we're connected. First John, the third chapter, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. There's the, there's the picture of the family. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. All right, you see, in this world that we live on, I don't know how many people are in it, seven, eight billion maybe. In this world that we live in, of that many people, the Bible says that there is a portion of this world's population that are not one with the rest of them. You, divide, you can divide this world into two people if you wanted to, God's people and those that are not God's people. That's what the Bible teaches. There's no oneness there. And Jesus says in John, the 15th chapter, says, if the world hates you, coming off of 1 John, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You see what he's saying? He's saying you've got the world and you've got God's people and there is not a oneness there. And it's a, it's a shame when it appears to be. You hear me? It's a shame when you can't tell God's people apart from the world. But Jesus says there's a difference. And the reason you are not like the world is not because you were intelligent. It is not because you were pretty or handsome or you've got a certain social economic status. It is because I have chosen you out of this world and made you my family. That's what he says. Ephesians 1, what he says, he predestinated us unto the adoption of children. You see, there's that family. But on this side, of, he's talking here about this side of heaven. Because on the, other, on, the, on the other side of this life, beyond this in the heavenly realm, there's no hate. You see? He says right now you're dealing with hate. As I said last week, you're suffering violence in the kingdom. This is here and now. And he says, there is a family here and now that I have chosen out of this world. But for a period of time, you've got to walk in this world. And the world will not want to be solitary with you. 
Ask Paul. What did Paul say? He said, I'm crucified to the world and the world's crucified to me. What does that mean? He said, when the, when, when the Lord put his spirit in me on the road to Damascus and he born me again and he made me a new creature, the things of this world slowly began to die to me. And when the world looked at me, I slowly began to die to the world because we didn't have near as much in common anymore. In some situations, there is no logical reason why you and I would have a special feeling, oneness, solitary being set on us. We're 100, 150 people in this church that come from different races, come from different economic statuses, come from different interests, come from maybe even different cultures. But yet, we have a feeling of oneness when we come together, right? I hope you, if you don't feel that, you need to take a serious step back and see, is the devil unraveling? You know, Tiffany likes to crochet. That's, did I do that right? Crochet, knit, it's all the same to me. But don't tell her. Kate knows. Don't tell somebody it's crochet and they're knitting. It's, a, it's apparently a big deal. She'll crochet a while and, and every now and then her will go, oh no! And she'll look and, and, and something will have gotten off. And she'll take that yarn and she'll begin to pull it. Now she'll have a pretty nice size looking, maybe a blanket. Maybe she'll have it made maybe as big as the top of this podium right here. It looks like it would take hours to do that to me. And she'll start pulling it. And line by line, it unravels. And the next thing you know, she's just got a pile of string and nothing and she's starting all over again. That's what the devil's trying to do. If you don't feel a solitary within your earthly family, if you don't feel a, a, a sense of solitary when you are here with each other, you need to, you need to look at the blanket and see, is the, is the devil somehow trying to unravel this in our minds? And if you don't think the devil can't get in our minds and what you once loved and adored and treasured is now somewhat detestable to you, there's been some unraveling going you think about how many marriages at one time, a husband and wife, they were just head over heels in love and, and it, it, you know, the world revolved around each other. And then 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, they can't even stand to look at each other. Somewhere in that process, the devil started pulling that string. If you have loved this church and if you have loved this body and you have loved this church family and you've lost that, at some point, the devil started pulling on that string. You have to admit that. Be humble enough to admit that. But if you feel a oneness and a singleness here with this, this big of a group that are so vast in so many different ways, praise God. Amen. It didn't get that way because you're super intelligent or special. It got that way because God made it that way. I hope you don't lose that treasure. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes, and I hope that's been profitable to you.